Welcome to AMDG. I'm Eric Clayton. On today's episode, I continue the thread of conversation that started a few weeks ago with Father Bill Waters of Baltimore. The question, how do we ensure that a quality Jesuit education is accessible to everyone? The cost of college tuition has been in the news lately and on the presidential debate stage. As a father of a two-year-old, I've spent my own share of panic moments trying to add up how much college might cost 16 years from now. Unfortunately, I'm not the only one thinking about these things. Father Steve Katsuros, founder of the innovative Arupe College at Loyola University Chicago, is my guest today. He's preparing to expand the Arupe College model nationwide, and here he shares with me some reflections from his last six years. What's worked, what's been challenging, and what continues to get him out of bed in the morning. If you like what you hear at AMDG, give us a like and tell your friends. All right, Father Katsaros, thank you for joining us on AMDG. Welcome. Thanks very much for inviting me. All right. And uh, we want to talk to you because you have been given a, a new mission, right? A new task by uh, Father General to expand the work that you've been doing um, with uh, the Arupe College, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Uh, through uh, my provincial, Father John Cicero of the Northeast Province, right? Ah, okay. Okay. And um, so can you talk a little bit about uh, Arupe College and uh, how it uh, how it manifests, you know, what Jesuit education is and and, and needs to be uh, reading the Science of the Times today. Okay. Arupe College is a part of Loyola University in Chicago. It's kind of the first of its kind in the AJCU, the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities. So it's a two-year college. We award associate's degrees. Uh, we are an academic unit within Loyola, so we're leveraging the infrastructure and the assets of an already existing university. Loyola has been around since 1870 in order to create something new uh, for a population that's often underrepresented in AJCU schools like Loyola. So our students are all Pell eligible, uh, state aid eligible. Uh, they are uh, the first in their families to go to college. We are 96% uh, people of color. 20% 20, 20 of our students are undocumented. And uh, they come to us right out of high school, so they're the traditional age of college students, undergrads. And um, their grades in high school were okay, B minus, C plus, C. Those are the, that's the average. Average ACT, 17. Average um, SAT, 920. Now, these are students who are you know, uh, their families can afford for them to have tutors or to take ACT prep classes or that kind of a thing. And um, they interview for Rupe. Uh, we have 350 students enrolled. They uh, pursue one of three associate's degrees, either in arts and humanities, business, or social and behavioral sciences. And uh, we provide a lot of wraparound support services uh, to accompany our students during their first post-secondary ed experience. You may know this, that in urban areas, uh, two-year colleges have um, struggles with um, uh, retention and, and completion rates. Um, and so we've graduated three classes. We've enrolled five. I moved, I've, I moved to Chicago in 2014 to start a route bay. And... Um, you know, we are uh, bucking the trend here. And I 
you know, a lot of it has to do with Loyola, certainly with my colleagues, with the support services, and most of all, uh, it has to do with our, our students and their resilience and their curiosity and their desire to pursue higher ed. I know that one of the uh, critiques or, or maybe just general reflections on Jesuit education uh, these days, particularly, uh, you know, higher education, is that it, it is often out of reach of, of folks, right? Just it's it's so expensive. You know, I, I think about my own uh, education at, at Fairfield University and, and and I loved it, but it was it was it was expensive. And and I know that that Jesuits are called to accompany uh, the O's and the margins, those who are who are excluded. And, and in many cases, Jesuit education in, you know, inadvertently excludes people, right? Do you see Arupe as a, a response? To, to that? Uh, do you see it uh, as, a, as a way, again, of, of kind of reading the signs of the times and, and thinking creatively? Absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned Father General. So Father uh, Sosa's predecessor, Father Nicolas, met with um, presidents and board chairs of American Jesuit colleges and universities several years ago before we started Arupe. I was very congratulatory uh, about the contribution that uh, Jesuit higher ed was making in the United States. But he said, you know, we're leaving some people behind here. And um, Arupe College is a concrete, um, substantive way of being inclusive of uh, inviting folks who, you know, to your point about your tuition at Fairfield, I mean, the sticker shock that are these tuitions of all of our schools, I mean, you know, our families would never consider uh, a Rupe or a Loyola Chicago or other, other Jesuit schools because it's just out of reach. Uh, the cost for a Rupe, well, the cost per student is $15,500. The majority of that comes from Pell and state aid and supplemental education opportunity grant, the SEOG, and then we fundraise the rest. The cost for the student is generally under $2,000 a year. Wow. Um, how do you, at the same time, I, I, I'm always, you know, cognizant of, of when you have a school that is, that is, you know, kind of serving a particular demographic, you don't want to then inadvertently, right, create two separate tracks or two separate tiers. How do you, um, assess, you know, account for that in, in your, in your reflections on, on, on creating a rupee on, on kind of, uh, moving forward with the students, accompanying the students, how do you ensure that, um, there aren't like a rupee students and Loyola students and never the two shall meet? How, how are they kind of coming together in that larger Jesuit umbrella? So this is very important for our model. Arupe College is um, on Loyola's Water Tower campus. We share a building with Loyola's School of Social Work. Across the street is the School of Business. Down the street is the School of Communications. We are part of the campus, so our students are Loyola students. Uh, secondly, our curriculum is not Loyola light. Um, our delivery method is a little bit different, uh, more structured. But um, it's a very rigorous arts and humanities uh, uh, curriculum. And then third, we're a bridge program. So students, all of our students come to us desiring to go on to a four-year school, but either they can't afford it or um, they need some more support because for whatever reason, their high school academic careers were not uh, where, where they wanted them to be. Uh, but the idea is that we prepare Rupe students during their two years with us to be successful, 
to continue on at Loyola or other private or public institutions, or to take their credential from a root bay, their associate's degree, and enter the workforce. Tell me a little bit more about your your students. Are there any uh, particular stories that come to mind or, or particular families that you think of when you're um, trying to bring new people into the mission? There are thousands of stories. Uh, you know, I our students are really remarkable. We learn so much from them, from their goals, from their curiosity, from uh, their desires. They've really helped us. They've, I, I, as I've said, I've often said that they have co-pioneered this new um, program in Jesuit higher ed with us. So stories, okay, from yesterday. Um, I mentioned we have undocumented students. One of our students is a graduate of Arupe. She's now continued on at another institution. Um, you know, she's been called up by Immigration Review um, uh, for uh, re regarding her, her stay in the United States. And so one of my colleagues and I accompanied her her mother and her cousin to immigration yesterday. And um, this student is um, remarkable. Um, she is, uh, was a, a leader while she was with us at Arupe. She um, continues on a leadership at her current campus. She'll be running an alternative break immersion program uh, during spring break at her current institution. She's been involved in campus ministry at her current institution. And so, you know, yesterday at Immigration Review, there's a lot of bedlam um, at such places. And so, you know, at one point I just looked at her and she was so composed and so focused. And I said, I asked her, how are you? And she said, I am terrified. You'd never mm -hmm. know it. And um, I must say that I just so admire and respect her and her family. These folks are living under such tremendous pressure. Um, she earned a 3.6 last semester. So in the midst of, you know, a lot of uncertainty in her life, she's still academically a powerhouse. Um, the good news is, is that when we met with the judge, um, we don't have to go back to court until July and she'll graduate with her bachelor's degree in May. So I really wanted to make sure that she got that bachelor's. She has the associates from us and then get the bachelor's degree and then we'll see what happens next with, um, with immigration. But that's just, that's one story from yesterday. And in the last 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. What, you know, I, I imagine that, um, you just you you hear so many like you said stories and and dreams and 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 young people that are excited you know you said this they have to be first generation to go to to go to college right uh you know the majority of are. are yeah how do you accompany their families are you are you very involved with with uh with their families then or are people on your staff involved with their families because that's such an exciting uh role to play in a family i would imagine being being able to welcome people into that um new opportunity yeah it's a great question you know um we certainly spend time with family members as the student is uh discerning deciding whether to enroll at a root bay but you know we're a commuter institution and we want to make sure that our students and also their families realize this is in high school you know, so I remember a father saying to me one time, okay, now I'm going to, going to come in to see you to talk about her grades in the middle of the semester. So I said, <laughs> no, we don't do that in college. You know, she can tell you, you know, what her grades are, uh, but uh, that that's not our role. That said, we do get to know families. Um, 
we have, um, you know, again, we're a commuter school. I was very aware of this when we first started, you know, at uh, Loyola, there's parents or uh, parents weekend. And, you know, you probably went through this at Fairfield. The families come in, they look at your dorm room, they take you to Bed Bath & Beyond, they uh, meet your roommate, they take you out for a big dinner. Well, that's not our situation here. So um, instead we have um, family and friends night at mm -hmm. Arupe in September, we're all here. Uh, if parents can, they uh, join us. Uh, there's food, there's information on financial aid, um, but it's more a community builder. And, um, you know, early on, the first one, I remember thinking that we have definitely achieved our Catholic identity. We are a Catholic institution because we played bingo with our families. <laughs> and, then, and then you pick up a collection, right? <laughs> no. Well, then we became a pontifical university because we had a raffle. So we have achieved our Catholic identity with those two activities. Of course, I'm being facetious here, but um, but um, yeah. And then certainly at graduation time, I mean, that's remarkable. I mean, our graduations are very moving, uh, and uh, to to be able to congratulate these families and say, you know, she did it, or you must be so proud, or, you know, uh, it's been great collaborating with you on his achievements. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's why we do what we do. And, and now that's all going to continue, but, but at an even bigger level. So tell me, uh, what's going through your mind as you, uh, I imagine are continuing to try and get your arms around the next step, right? Scaling this up, looking at new, uh, new campuses. What, how are you approaching that? Yeah, scaling is the key word, and you know, almost from the beginning, um, other higher ed leaders and people of goodwill have approached us about our model and have been very enthusiastic about it. And we've been replicated once: St. Thomas University in St. Paul, Minnesota, a diocesan mm -hmm. school. They um, created their version of a Root Bay College a few years ago. In fact, they've graduated their first class. And um, so much of what we do, they, they implemented. So, you know, I've been in conversation with the president of St. Thomas, and I said, well, we were creating a network. So she said, well, great, I'm already in it, you know. <laughs> and, um, uh, and and they're doing very exciting things in the Twin Cities with uh, with their version of a Rupe. Yeah, I mean, I'm spending a lot of time um, with presidents and other campus leaders, and I'm sharing with them the results of a replication feasibility study that we um, undertook for um, uh, uh, this 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 purpose uh, back in the spring. So. Some friends of mine uh, on the West Coast, some donors said, we're no longer giving to Chicago until you replicate this, until you scale this. So why don't we finance you um, doing a, a replication feasibility study? I vetted it with a couple of consulting firms. I hired Accenture. Uh, they were very good partners. And Accenture and I identified several um several um, fit criteria, all right? Hmm. What does it take for a large university to launch and host a successful Arupe model? 
So for example, you know, you've got to be in a location where you have a large population of young people who are Pell eligible. You have to be in a location that is commutable because we're a commuter institution. Your president has got to be on fire about this, very enthusiastic about this. You have to be um, in a location where you don't have high performing to your colleges because, you know, if you do, then this, you know, associate's degree program really isn't all that necessary. Um, you have to be an institution that um, is strong in the liberal arts. I have to be an institution that has uh, a, a healthy in, uh, enrollment and healthy endowment. So those are the areas that I'm looking at when, you know, presidents or provosts or others in higher ed um, approach me and say, oh, I'm really interested in talking to you about uh, replicating your model. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I was, I was wondering what Obviously, you're based in Chicago. What are the advantages that you're seeing in Chicago that you're looking for elsewhere? And, and are you looking at like New York City and and you know LA and those other big cities, uh, you know, or are there some some more rural areas or or more off the beaten path places that that you think could work for an Arupe College or or where those people, um, where those communities need it? Are there certain areas like that 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 you're kind of mindful of? Yeah, this model is really more of an urban one. You That's know, fair. and uh, because again, we're a commuter population, and you know, you do have to have a critical mass of students uh, who um, fit the financial model who are Pell eligible. So, so tell me, like five, ten years, if if you know everything goes exactly as you hope for, what what do you see? What what do you see, kind of across the national landscape? Um, Arupe colleges, what are they doing? How many are they? Uh, are there and and what is I mean most importantly what are the fruits of that uh, of that initiative? I'll start with the last thing that you asked about, and that is more great students having access to affordable um, higher education. So, in other words, our model is high quality, high touch, uh, Catholic Jesuit education uh, for a lower cost for folks who are generally underrepresented in our schools. Um, you know, in terms of your earlier questions there. So I like to put this in the context of um, the, a movement in Jesuit education over the last 50 years. Um, I began my career at Nativity on the mm. Lower East Side of Manhattan. So before I arrived in the 80s, in the early 70s, late 60s, uh, lay people in Jesuit started the Nativity Missions Center and School. Uh, and that was the first of its kind, a middle school for uh, kids from low-income backgrounds who were going to um, underperforming public schools in New York City. All right, there are now over 50 of those nativity model schools. In fact, they're called Nativity Miguel, mm -hmm. uh, the Christian Brothers have their own version of uh, the nativity model as well. So elementary ed, all right. 1996, the first Cristo Rey High School opens here in Chicago. Um, very innovative model where students work in corporate and not-for-profit environments to offset the cost of their tuition. There are close to 40 of those Cristo Rey schools now around the country. So you can sort of see where this is going, right? Um, right. You know, uh, we have... Um, uh, elementary schools, we have um, high schools. Now it's time for higher ed. Um, you know, I can't predict what the numbers are, are going to be. Uh, you know, whether there's, there's going to be 10 of these or 
seven of these or 20 of these. Um, but, uh, you know, I just really want to be of service to um, higher ed leaders around the country, again, to create affordable, accessible, achievable options for, for folks who are, I think, at times marginalized by higher ed. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I wonder, um, one thing that always you know, impresses me is when, you know, someone who has a vision, who has, who's trying to get a lot of people, uh, you know, behind it. And, and, and as you mentioned, you have donors on the West coast, you know, you know, you're asking people to put their money, uh, kind of on the line, uh, to, to kind of follow the vision you know, you've had and others on your team have had, how do you go about articulating that mission and how do you go about bringing people into the mission in a way that's, that's going to really inspire them and, and, and keep them engaged so that you have the tools and resources you need to, uh, to, to live it out. Yeah, so I, I, the key word is the mission, and I'd say that in terms of financial support, we've been quite successful there. You know, I mean, and it's not because we have a lot of alumni who are donors. I mean, our alumni are now undergrads. You know, right? Uh, but rather, you know, our donors tend to come from the following populations. First. Um, folks who are enthusiastic about um, Jesuits, who went to Jesuit schools, who love Jesuit education, who are grateful for their experiences in Jesuit colleges, universities, high schools, and want to see that model available to more people. Um, another group would be those who are concerned about access issues, who are concerned about you know, who's left out, about how higher ed is in some ways contributing to income inequality, and want to you know, see opportunities for, for folks who oftentimes don't enjoy uh, the advantages of advantaged populations. And then finally, we have um, funders who are looking for innovation, who are concerned about the escalating costs of higher ed, who say that the financial model is broken and who say, wow, here is a way of making a high quality education available at uh, a really interesting you know, uh, number. It's a way of leveraging the assets, the, um, the infrastructure at an already existing university and creating something new. So the innovators, the entrepreneurs are, are interested in this model as well. So uh, and then finally, um, you know, along with private philanthropy, along with donors, um, you have foundations that are that are, are, are very interested in our work. And I just met with a foundation this morning and they were pretty enthusiastic hearing about our students, our um, our structure and our successes. What role do you hope Arupe College plays in the larger society of Jesus uh, moving moving forward as as we begin 2020? Uh, how how are you positioning or hope to position this this at work and this initiative uh, in the society? You know, I'm so grateful to the society, to my provincial, to. Um, the Midwest province here to Jesuits around the country who are following our story and who are very encouraging. And so many Jesuits, young Jesuits have said, all right, well, this is a way for me to be in higher education, you know, mm. or a, a different path, a different way of, of being in the apostolate of, of, of higher education. Um, you know, one of, uh, I was on retreat last spring and I was praying over the universal apostolic preferences. And um, 
you know, this sounds kind of glib, but I remember thinking, I think we're doing all of these at our roommate <laughs> college. And, um, you know, accompanying young people. Uh, our students have uh, have experiences on retreats and we, talk, we do a lot of work on discernment and on who Ignatius was and on how to pray and, 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 and that kind of a thing. Uh, obviously we're working with folks who are who are often marginalized and our required science is environment, environmental science. I was so, going to say, how do you get that care for creation in there? Yeah, right? <laughs> so, so we've, we've got it. We've, we're all, got all. all the boxes are checked, right, exactly. Um, but I'd like to think that in a small way, and we have 350 students enrolled here, um, that other higher ed leaders and other provincials say, this is really a worthy investment. And, um, you know, uh, how can we take what has been learned at Loyola Chicago and replicate it and adapt it um, on our campuses throughout the assistancy. What, um, so to that point, what would you say, what insight would you share with higher ed professionals who may be listening to this, uh, this podcast? Yeah, I would say the following, um, a couple of things. One is um, the support services that are built into a root bay are critical. So for example, um, all of our faculty, and they're extraordinarily talented, most have PhDs, um, they're also academic advisors. So, you know, in community colleges, tier colleges in cities like New York or here in Chicago, the academic advisors in these two-year colleges, they're overwhelmed. They have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students and they, you know, it's just impossible for them to, you know, accompany their students very effectively. And again, if you're a first-gen student who's commuting, who might be working or has family obligations, you know, and their parents aren't navigating all of this for them, uh, then, you know, they often get lost because they just aren't benefiting from, from advising. So that, that advising piece, I mean, our faculty have loads of 20 to 25 advisees, and they follow them throughout the entire time they are enrolled at Arupe College. These are very rich, thick relationships um, and, um, you know, uh, change the trajectories of, of our students. You know, other support services. So we know this all throughout higher ed the requests for mental health services on all of our campuses is increasing. You know, we have two full-time social workers. We share our building with Loyola School of Social Work and we have social work interns working uh, with our students as well. Having those support services are critical. We address food insecurity by offering uh, two free meals a day. Um, each student gets a laptop when she or he enrolls so that we all are dealing with the same level of technology. It's not like I'm doing my homework on my smartphone and you're doing yours in the library because you have no technology. Right, that. right. We're all on the same page. So really those support services, um, you know, are, are extremely critical. You know, obviously this is an election year. There's a lot of discussion about free tuition and, um, mm. uh, and great, you know, uh, but if you're not supporting the students, then th they're not going to be successful. You Sounds know? like we're like, you know, care of personalists, right? That, that care for the whole person. 
That's what this is based on. Exactly. Beautiful. So my final question would just be what, you know, over your, your, your time uh, at Arupe and, and as you look to the future, what brings you joy? What, what has been that source of joy uh, that, that sustains you? What brings me joy is, um, well, I'd have to say the experience of seeing students, you know, grow but also the experience of, of learning from the students. So, um, you know, I'll make a little plug here. You might know this. I wrote a book about uh, the founding of Arupe College a couple of years ago. Orbis published it. It's called Come to Believe, How the Jesuits Are Reinventing Education Again. And um, that Come to Believe line is from St. John's Gospel. You know, Martha came to says that she's come to believe that Jesus is Lord. Peter says, we've come to believe that you are the Messiah. That comes up again and again in John's gospel. Our students are coming to believe that they belong in mm -hmm. Jesuit higher ed, in a place that offers a rigorous academic curriculum. And I'd like to say that Jesuit higher ed has come to believe that our students are really worthy of this level of investment. So it's, you know, gradual. It's a process. It's not Eureka or a burning bush. Um, but it's extraordinary to watch as that happens. And then, I don't know, you know, we just had this last week. Um, we have a graduate support coordinator who tracks what's happening with our alumni. We throw a couple of alumni reunions each year. So one is during the winter break. A lot of our students are away in college. So it was a week ago tonight, as a matter of fact. The joy in that room was palpable. Mm. Students were so excited to see each other. Faculty, you know, and this is the faculty's break from the for, from um, uh, the semester. They're, they were all in. And... Um, you know, this one's working, this one's expecting, this one is uh, graduating, this one graduated, this one is applying for a job. Oh my God, it, it, you know, just the energy was over the top. And um, I guess for me, the joy is that our students find community here and that's in large effect to my, uh, because of my colleagues and their commitment to building community with our students and our students feel like they belong here they belong with us and you know uh that that is in very much a joyful experience beautiful well thank you for uh your work thank you for your time on the podcast today and and looking forward to to seeing what comes next for for rupe as as you as you scale up and and invite others into the into the mission thanks very much for your interest in our work AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Jordan Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at @JesuitNews. Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook via facebook.com backslash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. 
drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>